Well, good morning, Solid Rock Church. Whether you are here in the building or you are with us via live stream, I apologize for uh, my not being prepared at that point. I thought we had one more song, uh, and uh, obviously we did not. Um, so uh, thank you for your, for your patience. Um, I'm just going to go ahead, take me a swig of this water, and then I'm going to just go ahead and jump right in. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't your fault, bro. It was no one's fault. Uh, so many things get lost in translation. I think what I was being told was that this was the last one, not that there was one more. So, so in uh, 2010, in his book Radical, the subtitle being Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream, Pastor David Platt wrote about becoming the touted uh, youngest mega pastor church, uh, mega pastor, mega church pastor, excuse me, in history when he became the lead pastor at Brook Hills Church in Birmingham, Alabama. He goes on to say, from the first day, I was immersed in strategies for making the church bigger and better. Authors I respected would greatly would make statements such as decide how big you want the church to be and go for it, whether that's five, ten, or 20,000 members. Soon my name was near the top of the list of pastors of the fastest growing U.S. churches. There I was, living out the American church dream. Soon I realized I was on a collision course with an American church culture where success is defined by bigger crowds, bigger budgets, and bigger buildings. I was now confronted with a startling reality Jesus, Jesus actually spurned the things that my church culture said were most important. So what was I to do? I found myself faced with two big questions. The first was simple. Was I going to believe Jesus? Was I going to embrace Jesus even though he said radical things that drove crowds away from him? The second question was more challenging. And it was, was I going to obey Jesus? My biggest fear, even now, is that I will hear Jesus' words and walk away, content to settle for less than radical obedience to him. In other words, my biggest fear is that I will do exactly what most people did when they encountered Jesus in the first century. He goes on to say, that's why I've written this book. I am on a journey, but I am convinced it is a journey uh, that is not just for pastors. I am convinced that these questions are critical for the larger church community of faith in our country today. And that was 10 years ago. I am convinced he goes on to say that we as followers, as Christ followers in American churches have embraced values and ideas that are not only unbiblical, but that actually contradict the gospel we claim to believe. And I'm convinced we have a choice. You and I can choose to continue with business as usual in the Christian life and in the church as a whole, enjoying success based on the standards defined to us by, our cult by the culture around us, or we can take an honest look at the Jesus of the Bible and dare to ask what the consequences might be if we really believed him and really obeyed him. 
he concludes what I'm reading by saying, I could not help but think that somewhere along the way we had missed what is radical about faith, about our faith, excuse me, and replaced it with what is comfortable. We were settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Please join me in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the desires that you placed in our hearts. While I am not around everyone who may be able to hear my voice, the voices that I have heard were struck with what is written by Pastor Platt in the same way that I was. So, Lord, I just ask you, would you please help us this morning? Help us to hear from you, Lord. In order to hear from you, though, Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. And so I pray that you would please do this, Lord, that you would help me to decrease, that I would be hidden behind Christ and that your voice will be heard from my mouth, Lord, and I pray that you will please glorify yourself by making something that is foolish apart from you and able to speak wisdom from you. Lord, I pray that you would please, if there's anything that is said amiss, that you would please cause it not even to take root in anyone's mind. And Lord, correct me. But Lord, I pray that you would help me not to do that. And I pray that you would help this message to be a fitting conclusion to the series that we've engaged in throughout this month. And I pray that it would be one more brick in the building that you are erecting within us and through us. Glorify yourself as we look at being renewed and pursuing renewal. In Jesus' name, amen. As mentioned in my prayer during this month, um, we've been in a, a series called Kingdom Recalibration. Um, and uh, we, st we, we have uh, done this from the first uh, Sunday in August, and we will conclude today. Uh, our first message was called Recalibrate, and just so people know, I mean, some people I see here and some people may be viewing that haven't um, for most of the month, so um, I'm just going to let you know where we've been. So the first message was calibrate, and to calibrate means to plan or devise something carefully so as to have a precise use and application or appeal. Um, and recalibrate, you know, the, the prefix we uh, just means that it's something that we're going to go back to doing. We're going to do it again and again and again and again. It indicates repetition. And we know that we have to recalibrate because we are not always tuned into what God uh, calls us to. For 1 Corinthians 8, 
4 through 6 reminds us. It's, 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 it's a Christian rendition of the Shema, uh, which was the thing that Jewish uh, people said uh, all, every time they were together when they would talk about there being one God, right? So, so Paul says it this way. He says, uh, we, we know that, that, first of all, we know that there's no such thing as idols um, and that there's no God but one God. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, for us there is one God, the Father, all things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ, all things are through him, and we exist through him. So we as human beings, we are not our own. The Bible says this uh, uh, hand over fist uh, throughout it, right? Even the very genesis of being a Christian includes denying ourselves uh, taking up our cross and following him. So there is no way that we can glorify God if we're not willing to deny ourselves. And yet that is not what our culture tells. Even church culture does not, does not drive in that we are to deny ourselves. No. Even in our presentation of the gospel, as I'll get to later, it doesn't remind us. We're not told the entire story. See, before Ananias went to pray for Saul, after he saw Jesus in that beaming, blinding light that he saw him on when he was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, when, when the Lord tells Ananias, hey, go pray for Saul, Ananias is like, no, Lord, this man, as if the Lord doesn't know, right? This man, he's been persecuting your people. He's this, he's that, the other. And then what does, what does the Lord say? One, he's my chosen instrument. And then he says, and I will show him how many great things he must suffer in my name. When's the last time you heard a gospel presentation that included, man, you know what, you're going to encounter some suffering. See, we talk as if everything is going to change to the degree that we will not suffer. But as we will see in more depth, we will suffer. That's part of what we signed up for when we said, Lord Jesus, I'm going to deny myself. That's already hard enough, right? That piece, that, just, that one piece of that verse, deny myself, that's already hard enough. But he didn't say deny yourself and follow me. He said, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross and follow me. So already, already just our cultural uh, uh, Christianity causes us to need to be recalibrated. Because I don't know about you, but when I, when, when I experienced the, the deliverance of God, when I called out to him and he actually heard my cry. See, because I was one of those people that, that I, I, I sat in church like we're sitting here. I listened to messages like you're listening to. And I heard those things. But I was one of those people who was like, you know what? Um, I do believe that, uh, but I'm not ready to deny myself. I'm not quite ready to do that. And taking up my cross, man, I'm too young, I thought, to be taking up my cross. 
And I know some of y'all, you know, I've been, a, I've been one of the leaders here for over 20 years, so some of y'all may have heard this, but everybody hasn't, so just bear with me for a little while. Um, I was just like, Lord, you know what, I'll be back, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you, like, you know, after I get married, or like, you know, or, or like when I'm, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm old, you know, old to me at that time was like 30, so it was like, you know, I'm like, Lord, like, I'll serve you, I, that's when I'll serve you, Lord. And some of that was driven by a misunderstanding of how I was taught what the gospel meant. So the church I went to, what they thought was that you were instantly sanctified the moment you believed in Jesus. So they would talk about being delivered from sin as if sin was not even an issue for them. And sin was an issue for me. I mean, it was an issue just if I missed a basketball shot or if I just happened to see a girl at school. Or if somebody stepped on my shoe, like those, those situations would cause me, well, they wouldn't cause me, but I would react to them in sinful ways. And I just couldn't see not doing it. And because even the temptation rose up and I didn't have a category for even being tempted, then it was like, Lord, you know what? I must not be saved. That's how I started off. But eventually it ended up in like, I don't want to be saved. And it ended up with, well, I don't want to be saved right now. I mean, I wanted to be saved. Nobody in their right mind wants to go to hell. So, no, I didn't. It wasn't that I didn't want to be saved. I didn't want to be saved right now. And when, when the walls of sin started closing in on me, and I realized that, you know what? Sin has consequences, and I don't want that smoke. I don't want those consequences, Lord. The enemy put in my mind that, well, God, he won't forgive somebody like you because you just was like, you know, I believe, but <laughs> like I ain't even tripping, Lord. And then through a, 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 what I believe was a near-death experience, I called upon the Lord, and he heard me. And he delivered me, and I've been walking with them ever since. Not perfectly, uh, no doubt not perfectly, but I will never forget that he actually heard me. And when he heard me, when he heard me, when I realized what he had done for me, then I was like, you know what? I'm going hard for the Lord. And I started going hard. Like many people, we start off strong, but we fizzle out. And that's, there's, that's only human. That's why we started with recalibrate. That's why we're talking about kingdom recalibration, because it's going to be necessary, right? So part of the battle is knowing that it's necessary. And to, as we'll see later, not think that we've arrived somewhere that we haven't, like at my old church, the way they were preached there. So, no, we haven't arrived. Therefore, we need to recalibrate every now and then. Because the church, the people who have, who have given themselves to the Lord, they understand that they're not just here for, uh, to be Democrats, to be Republicans, to be even the ethnicity that you were blessed to be embodied in. But we're here so that we can, we can display the glory of God as Ephesians, as Ephesians 3 says, that, that it's through the church that God is making his wisdom known. 
We're in a kingdom. We're not in a democracy. Uh, the Lord is not asking us, like, uh, what do you think about this? No, he's telling us what it means to be a citizen of his, right? And so, and so we're, 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 not, we're not, it's not like, oh, Mike, well, what do you think about this? I really would, I think you should do this. And like, what, are you on board with that? No, 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 no. It's a kingdom. It's a monarchy. It's a Lord. What will you have me do? And I don't know about you, but I'm not always there. I'm not always, I'm not, I'm not always there. I want to be there. I want to be. So to help me maintain a little bit, I need to recalibrate. And we all do. We all need to live for the glory of God. Because the church, those who are in Christ, they're supposed to display that glory. Remember that his glory is so dazzling that people are only permitted to experience it indirectly. And even that indirect uh, uh, um, uh, experience causes others, uh, inanimate objects as well as animate objects like ourselves. To reflect that glory because we've experienced it indirectly. My goodness. I can't focus on that, but that that is a wonderful reality. So we focused on the necessity to recalibrate. And then we looked at that the the fact that we mentioned like, like, I want to be I want to be like, Lord, what will you have me do all the time? But I'm not like that all the time. And I, I don't think I'm the only one. So we looked at what it means to repent. The Greek word for repentance is a compound word derived from meta. Meta, you know, meta. Um, um, but meta means after and, and, and suggests some type of change. So there's meta and then there's the word nos, which means mind. So metanoia, uh, mean, it, it denotes a change of mind, a rejection of past sinful ways. It also uh, entails remorse for sin and is accompanied by a desire to turn from one's sin and to turn to God for salvation. That repentance, it comes from Jesus. Repentance, however, is not, is not just a one-time experience. See, we all should recognize our daily sins and shortcomings, and they provide an opportunity for renewed acts of repentance. So the renewed acts of repentance is what we focused on as we talked about what it meant to to repent. And we said that this was necessary because not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter his kingdom. We said it was necessary because, unfortunately, with human beings, it is it is possible. And unfortunately, it is normal for people to embrace a form of godliness, but deny the power of God. It is an unfortunate human characteristic to serve God half-heartedly. It is easier to talk a good game rather than live one. It is natural for us to seek even righteous things in unrighteous ways. It is natural for us to compare ourselves with ourselves rather than look into the perfect law of liberty and compare ourselves to the man or woman we see in the mirror of God's word. So to repent is necessary. And then we looked at review. We saw how 
many of the, of the leaders in Scripture, before they left, they would go into review mode. Moses did it, Joshua did it, Paul did it, Peter did it. And Peter said he was not, it, it didn't bother him to tell his folks about things they already knew. Because when he, was, when he departed, he wanted them to be able to recall what he had taught them. And then last week we looked at resolve, which is to come to a definite decision about something. To be settled or determined about your opinion or your intention. We saw that we need a, a resolved mindset. Just a general paradigm to be resolved to live for the Lord. But we also need like a resolved attitude. We need to carry it like we're resolved to do God's will. And then we need a crafted resolve, one that is planned out based on what keeps me from wanting to say, Lord, what will you have me do? And then we need to share that resolve so that others can, can, can help us to be accountable for what we say we want to do, right? It's easier to talk a good game than it is to walk a good game. So sometimes we need people to remind us of how we're going, how we plan to engage in the game. Today, as mentioned, the topic is renew. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, after, 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 good gracious, after what? 11 chapters of rich theological insights about the state of uh, Jews, Gentiles, people before God, God's sovereignty, uh, all of that, plus more. After all of this mind work in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul shift gears a little bit. See, we aren't, we aren't, See, this, this is another thing that, that, that we, need to, we need to remember. Church culture would assume that knowing is doing yeah. and knowing is not doing. Good. At some point, all of that knowledge needs to be put into practice. Yeah. Yeah. We, can't just, we can't just know, right? To, to only know and not do is like, is, is, is like I, I'll use myself as an example, man. I... I, I I think I've lost weight during the pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, I had to give away some shirts and all that. But I'm telling you, every time I go get a physical, which is coming in next month during my sabbatical, I just don't like that number that they come up with when I'm weighed. <laughs> I'm just like, man, for real? I weigh that much? I mean, I don't say that. I mean, this is all going on in my, in my mind, right? I'm like, oh, man. Goodness. I need to exercise a little more. See, knowing is only eating. There's no exercise. You're just putting on weight. You're, 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 you're sedentary if you're just not doing anything with what you know. Therefore, the, 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 your spiritual weight might surprise you. But we need to exercise. We need to do what we know to do. See, it's not, it's, it's not even that complicated. Because you know what? I, I often wonder, I wonder a few things. 
I wonder like, okay, the early church. I don't know how many of them, you know, what percentage of them knew how to read. The early church, man, they didn't have like seminaries to go to and just sit around and talk about like theology and learn about theology and work theology into the mind. But they were saved. They practiced what they knew without having a Bible on their nightstand. Oh, there, there might be more Bible literacy now than there ever has been. I have, I don't know how many Bibles in my house. I'm sure I have a few in my office. And I got a couple on this thing. And I have it on my phone as well. I have access to the Bible whenever. But that's not just the case with me. That's the case with most 21st century people. I remember we went, we, we had gone on a cruise, and uh, I think we, we went to, to Haiti, which you know is, is a country that's, that's uh, economically poor. And um, I was surprised to see people with smartphones. I was like, and this was like years ago, so this wasn't like, like there was an oversaturation with them. It was like, hey man, what that dude doing with a Blackberry, man? You know, God, no, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Blackberry, that's a blast from the past, right? <laughs> but back then, the dude had the Blackberry, right? Now, he could have gotten it. I mean, it could have been job-related or whatever, but, but this is my point. Even in a, in a country like that, the access to the app to have the Bible on your phone was still accessible. And yet, even though there's more biblical literacy, oh, isn't there more biblical illiteracy now than there has been? Not because of what people know. People might know a lot. But what do they show? What are we showing that we know? See, if you've been in the gym, just to continue on with that illustration, you could tell people who've been in the gym. So this body right here, it ain't been to the gym. Right? All right. This, he, ain't, he ain't been to the gym. I, 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 I do my walks. You know, I mean, they took the basketball course down, so I did find one that I might hit when I'm on sabbatical. Um, as long as nobody else is there that I don't know, you know, I, I hit it and sweat some stuff out. But I ain't been to the gym, you know what I'm saying? I ain't been to the gym. But I see brothers in the church who've been to the gym. You can see the results from them brothers. You know what I'm saying? You know, this, this is a, that muscle is defined. So I have muscles here. But it's not defined. It just looks like one, one arm, right? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not cut, right? It's not cut. But when it's cut, you can tell they've been to the gym. They're showing that they've been to the gym. They're not showing you that they, that they know what it's like to go to the gym. You see the effects of them going to the gym. All right? So we, it's not about what we know, but it's about what we can show. And because we don't show, oh, my brothers and sisters, we need to recalibrate. And we need to renew. 
So here's Paul after all that good theology. Now get into the practicals. And then he says after he says this, I'll just read verse one. Uh, but verse two is the is the is the springboard to where we're going. Uh, verse one says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, he's shown you God's mercy all throughout those first 11 chapters. So in view of all of that, that I just told you, let me tell you how you can show that God is at work. So I'm going to urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? There's, there, there's something else that is not uh, really indicative of our, of, our, of our society, which is sacrifice. But the living sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. Even if it's not pleasing to us, it's pleasing to God. This, he says, is your true worship. Then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this age, Solid Rock Church, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You, we've been made new already, right? If any man be in Christ... He's a new King James. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Thank God that we have become new. But we have to remember it's not enough to become new. As a standalone, we need to renew if we would stand in where God has called us to. So Paul says, don't, because if we don't renew, we're going to be conformed into what this world calls us to rather than being transformed into what God calls us to be. So therefore, our minds have to be renewed. Yeah, we've been new, but we need to re-up. We need to renew that thing, right? Remember, re is a prefix that goes to say it needs to happen over and over and over and over again. So that we can discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This morning, uh, the, the goal uh, as we close out this uh, sermon series is that we will recognize the necessity and the responsibility to pursue renewal. And that we would embrace the opportunities that we have to be renewed in light of the necessity and the responsibility. So I told you that Romans 12 was going to be a springboard. It is a springboard to uh, Philippians chapter 3. There we encounter the Apostle Paul displaying a recognition of the need and the responsibility for renewal, which motivated him to press into the opportunities that were presented to him to be renewed. We're going to see that in, well, let's look at his goal first. So this is, this goal like drove him and it motivated him uh, to pursue uh, renewal. This is, uh, we'll read uh, verse 10 of Philippians 3 first. This is just to let us know like what his goal, what, what was in his mind, what made him pursue being renewed. So he says, my goal is to know him, talking about Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that somehow, that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So that is the goal that, that Paul has. Do you have spiritual goals? 
What, what are your spiritual goals? Can you articulate your spiritual goals? See, sometimes having things at the forefront of your mind helps provide a direction for where you go. And that's what happened with Paul. He understood what his goal was, therefore determined how he would live his life. Do we understand what our goals are? If so, to what degree do they determine those goals, determine the trajectory, the, way, the, the, the pathway of your life? Oh, yeah, it's good to know your goals, but again, we're not just talking about knowing our goals. We're looking to be able to show what our goals are. So Paul's mindset, we want to break it down a little bit so that we can get to what his practice was. So his, his, his goal motivated him in certain ways. So his goal motivated him. Uh, so he was motivated by a need for Christ. He was motivated by a desire to know Christ. He was motivated by a desire to reflect Christ. And he was motivated by a desire to reach Christ. Verse 7 says of Paul, look at this mindset. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So Paul understands that he has a need for Christ. And because of this need for Christ, he counts everything as as he counts it as lost. Now, Paul wasn't an immoral guy. If you know anything about Paul uh, on his way to Damascus, you know that he is, he is a righteous dude. Now, his righteousness is self-righteousness, but he's looking better than the way I was living when apart from Christ in one respect. As far as morality is concerned. But Paul understood after meeting the resurrected Christ, he understood that he had need for Christ. He, it, it dawned on him and it was revealed to him that the righteousness that he, he had was, verse 9, a righteousness of his own from the law. Even though it was, it was provoked by knowledge of the law, it was still his own righteousness. And we know that that kind of righteousness is not the righteousness that's going to do anything for anyone before God. We know that when we stand before God, on a plane, 
coming from a pastor's conference, coming back to the D- DMV from wherever the pastor's conference was, sat, to, sat next to this uh, woman named Amy. No, where are you coming from? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I'm coming from pastor's conference. Oh, yeah, I'm coming from wherever she was coming from. Uh, but I got to know that she was, she was a, a, a member of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And she let me know that, um, that, you know, she had really gotten back into that faith because of her daughter and their teachings about the family. So I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so I asked a few questions and um, maybe I made a few statements. But then it was like the Lord was just like, man, why are you playing tennis right now or volleyball? Like, why are you just like, hey, yeah, hey, how you doing? Yeah, how's, so what do you guys believe? Yeah, okay, yeah, well, we believe this. Okay, yeah. No, you don't, you don't know if you will ever see this woman ever again. So I asked, I don't know how I introduced it, but it was, it was natural enough uh, to ask. And by the way, I've always wanted to be able to share an airplane experience of sharing a gospel. So... <laughs> so American. No, that was not. <laughs> but the Lord allowed it to happen. So anyway, I'm like, you know, uh, yeah, you know, like, so, so what is your, so like, if, if like this plane, if we crash right now and everybody like died and we all, you know, go before God and he asks us the question like, you know, why should I allow you into my kingdom? What would, you, what would your faith say? And her eyes got huge, like somebody was blowing them up like a balloon. And she honestly just said, I don't know. What would you say? And so then I just proceeded to tell her that I would tell God I don't have I don't have anything that I've done that I can show you to say, Lord, this is why you should allow me to be in your kingdom. I would say I, I, I don't have anything, but I'm not trusting in what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and so my Bible tells me that that means something to you. And that would be all I could say to God. I couldn't say, well, I've been a pastor for X amount of years. I didn't, I did not, I didn't. No, believe, all right, who is ever out there? If you're street smart, just if you ever before God, don't even start saying all that stuff, right? <laughs> don't, 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 don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. No, no, our faith and our trust has to be in Christ alone. And that's what Paul figured out. He figured out that it wasn't, it wasn't his, his righteousness that he thought that he stood on and that he trusted in so much so that he got papers to go and, and, and arrest people because they believed in Jesus. He had that kind of clout in his religious circle, but he realized that, you know what, that means nothing to God. He appeared to me and said, why are you persecuting me? Because I'm persecuting him. I'm not doing anything for him. As a matter of fact, what I'm doing is against him. And so those works are, as Isaiah says, like filthy rags. They amount to nothing. 
And so Paul realizes that he's not able to have a, a, a righteousness of his own that's from the law or from anywhere else, that it's not good enough with God. But there is one, there is, <laughs> there is one uh, 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 capital that God embraces, and that is faith in Christ. If you don't have that, that's the only, that's the unique capital that's going to do anything with God. In his economy, that's all he's taking. You can bring your accomplishments. We can bring our gold. We can bring our acts of service. We can bring all of that. But if they aren't, if they aren't motivated by a faith in Christ, they mean nothing to God. They may mean something to me. I may applaud you. I may say, man, you know, that person really cares about the community. I may be able to sell that. I may be able to say, you know what? This person is, is a, a great county executive. This person is a great uh, a president or this person is a great this, great that. I may be able to say that about a rack of people. But my friends, my opinion about you means nothing. Yeah. And that's what Paul realized, that there was only one whose opinion mattered. And it was God and the only, the only thing that he's receiving is faith in God through Christ, faith in Christ, excuse me. If it's separated from God, from Christ, excuse me, God's not having it. So Paul could say, up in the fourth verse, he could say, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a royal tribe, a Hebrew of born of Hebrews regarding the law of Pharisee. You know, they wear the, the scripture on their hat, on the, on the edges of their clothing, all of that. Regarding zeal, he was so zealous he persecuted the church. Regarding righteousness, that is in the law, blameless. No one could say that Paul was not a keeper of the law. But Paul said that he needed to have a righteousness that was apart from the law because if he didn't, it was just his own righteousness. So he understood his need for Christ and he was motivated because he understood his need for Christ. He was also motivated by a desire to know Christ. So in verse 8, he says, more than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul, he, he already knows, he already knows that he's lost everything and he cons considers these things lost because of Christ. So because of his faith in Christ, there's a loss of all things, of everything. That comes with the territory. But then he says that he considered everything lost in view of the surpassing value. What is your view of Christ? What is your view of knowing Christ? Is it a view that's just, you know what, Christ is just 
part of my repertoire? Is Christ just something you have, a component of just my life, or is he your life? There's a difference between those two. Many of us have Christ as part of our repertoire. That's also American. Decreasingly so, I think, but it's still, it's still vestiges of it. If you, if you watched or heard about the, uh, the, the, the uh, Republican uh, convention, you, you can see how some scriptures weaved in with like, what it means to, 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 to be a Republican. Now, the person who said it, I think, from what I've heard, is a believer, right? But it's possible to embrace what he said and how he said it and not be a believer. To be excited, to be like, yes, even amen. But if Christ is merely part of our repertoire, You don't view him. I don't view him, if that's my mentality, the correct way. See, because Paul understood that there was a surpassing value of knowing Christ. Surpassing means exceeding. It means excelling. Uh, uh, value means worth, merit, or, or importance. So there's, there's an exceeding uh, importance, exceeding, an exceeding worth to knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. But many of us I'm not trying to make anybody mad. I'll say it this way. It's possible for us to value getting married or being married more than Christ. It's possible to see making money to be of more surpassing value than knowing Christ. It's possible to view having a a big home or a nice home or whatever possessions we can get in this country, it's possible for us to see those as of more surpassing value than knowing Christ. It's possible for all of these things to be in place and more than, and, and to be categorized as of surpassing value than knowing Christ. What do you think about more? That could be a way you can measure it. Do you think about, do we, so we have access to so much. Do we think about what we don't have more than what we have? And do we long for that which we don't have more than we value what we do have? My wife, sometimes she'll call me or text me and say, hey, I'm going to store you one anything. And that's a super hard question for me to answer. <laughs> it is. So y'all might be laughing, the people in here laughing, so they might be laughing because that don't really seem like a hard question. (laughs) But it is a hard question if you're not sitting around thinking about what you need. It's a hard question if you're content with what you have. It's a hard question if like, you know, it's like, you know what, I wasn't thinking like, you know what, I really need to go to the 
store and get me some Ben and Jerry's. Remember the body. We don't need Ben and Jerry's, but we get it some time. All right. It tastes good, though. But thank God, by his grace, I'm not sitting around thinking like, man, that's, that cherry girl, I see it right now. It would be like, it'd be like, oh, it'd be good. So for me, it's a hard question because I'm not sitting around thinking about what I don't have. I'd rather think about what I have, especially in Christ, rather than what I do not have. I'd rather big up the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, than to think about the loss that I've suffered if I'm Paul. But the loss that Paul has suffered is is put in his place by the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. How do we process the things that other people have that we don't? We talked about comparing ourselves to ourselves. I think that was in the repent message. That's something we shouldn't do. We all have our cross to carry. All of us. It's not the same. But our cross represents a way for us to glorify God. See, because Peter, uh, Peter was talking to his people and he understood that he was about to depart. He understood that, 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 that uh, eternity was closing in on him. And yet he looked at how he would depart as a way for him to glorify God. Amen. I think like that sometimes. I want to think like that all the time. Like, Lord, even in death, how can I glorify you? Well, why would I want to think like that? Because on some level, on some level, not perfectly, But I do understand that the surpassing value of this life is knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. I realize that it's not always sustainable to, so I have to, I have to renew, I have to recalibrate. I have to. Paul doesn't even, I mean, Paul's job, he's going hard right here. Because he says, because of him, it goes on to end out verse 8, because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Now, I don't use what that word means in my vocabulary, you know, in in the way I speak, I don't know talk like that. But I can say that Paul is saying that he considers uh, uh, the things that he's lost to be like sewage. Why? So that he might gain Christ. I remember one time I had some and some tickets. You already know that Georgetown is my favorite college basketball team. They haven't been what I wanted them to be for a while. But they've been more of what I wanted them to be than the, than the Washington football team. So I'm glad about that. But I remember I had some tickets. And I could not go to a game. And I remember I, I, 
I don't even think I was driving. I don't know how I, I don't know how I was getting around at the time, but I went to a random stranger and I said, hey man, I had these tickets to the, the Georgetown game on, you know, it could have been later on that afternoon. Can you use those tickets? And the dude like lit up. He was like, oh, for real, man? How much? No, no, no. Because I think someone had given them to me, right? So, um, so I was like, nah, nah, it's free of charge, man. Just, just like do something with them because I can't do anything with them. So I told one of my friends who, who now is, he's a pastor. He was, he, I mean, he was, he was doing ministry back then. And he told me that when he heard, he and his father, who was, his father was an elder too. and used to preach at my old church uh, like every month. And uh, he said when he and his father heard that I had just given the tickets away, they just started laughing. And I was like, man, what's so funny about that? Like, I view it as like the Christian thing to do. Right? I mean, freely I received, freely I give. You know, that kind of principle was at work in my mind. But it wasn't at work in their mind. They were more capitalistic about the situation. They were more American about the situation. Like, you know what, my brother? You could have earned some money off of that joint. Like, why didn't you do that? That's not how they spoke to me. They just, they just laughed at me. They didn't want to say all that to me. It's just, oh, yeah, well, that's just funny. But, it, but it's not funny to, in light of what you understand of Scripture, not saying that it would have been wrong for me to sell those tickets because they were my tickets. I could have did what they want. But I am saying, I am saying that some things we do for the cause, cause of Christ other people may laugh at, other people may, may sneer at, other people may not understand, and that's okay. They're, where they are with the Lord is between them and the Lord. You know what I'm saying? They'll, he and them will have that conversation at some point. But it is American to use things to my advantage. Or let me just stop. I ain't going to keep back. I love, I do love parts of my country. Definitely. I definitely do. I love the, what our country uh, says we stand for and all of that. So please understand that. Um, I was part of the military and I benefited more than I contributed, in my opinion. So just so you know, don't, don't, so I'm gonna stop using uh, um, uh, uh, American, but I am gonna say it just comes natural to us because of where we live and what we have available to us to think like, I need to get something out of this. But that's not necessarily the way scripture talks. And we have to be able to discern the difference. And we got to be able to, whatever we do, we have to be able to do it in faith, right? Because whatever is not a faith is sin. So I have faith to just like say, hey man, here, take these tickets. I don't know you. I'll never see you again. Who knows what, how God might use it? I don't know because I never saw the brother again as far as I know. Um, but there needs to be some things that we consider sewage. It don't even matter. That's just, it, it needs to go anyway. It needs to go anyway. Um, so, 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 so if you've, if you've been one who just has Christ as your repertoire and like you found a way to like, to, to, to do things that do not please him, 
and to, and to run into those things and then like run back to him and then just kind of like do a little dance like between Christ and the world and you're dancing with different partners at different times. Uh, the Lord is calling you to see what you have, whatever that thing you're dancing with is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's prestige and status at work, whether it's even education, whether it's promote, whatever it is. If you have to be worldly in order to do it, then I'm telling you right now, because you're listening to me by choice. This is a volunteer engagement right here, right? I didn't force you to be here. I didn't know who was going to be here today or who was going to be watching. But I do say we need to consider those things that keep us from Christ as sewage. And if we do not see it as sewage, we're the ones who will be sorry, not him. We're talking about living in the kingdom. That November election is not going to affect God's status. He's going to be on the throne regardless of what happens. Regardless of if. (laughs) Regardless of if Joe Biden uh, decides to 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 follow Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi's advice to not concede. Oh, my goodness. Y'all, we need to be praying for this election. I'm telling you, not not talking about, but praying to God about it. I'm, and I'm not saying he's I'm not saying that uh, President Trump is going to win. Um, I, I, I mean, because he's doing wrong stuff, too. In my in my opinion, he, he's 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 doing some things that are wrong that make me think he won't concede either. So then what do we have? Pray. That's, that's, that's what we need to do. <laughs> so he goes on, and then even in, in this, and we're still in these same verses, but we're focusing on something different. So, so Paul understands that he has Christ. He understood his need for Christ, but he has Christ. Therefore, because he has Christ, he's suffered the loss of all things. But that doesn't mean anything to him because the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ is the thing that that's just, it's, it's the priority uh, on his mind. So Paul is is desirous. This is wild right here. It's desire. It's, it's wild because because I don't like suffering and I love comfort. That's why it's wild. It's it's wild to me that Paul is motivated by a desire to reflect Christ. So if you look at verse ten again, it's his 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 goal is to is is to is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Okay. Those two things, if we're saying like, okay, American cultural Christianity, know him. Yeah, all right, good, all right. Um, Power of the resurrection, oh, most definitely, yeah, yeah. And the fellowship of his sufferings. (laughs) Amen, nah, nah, you mean I got to suffer? I'm not trying to suffer. Oh, and then he says, being conformed to his death. Those are things that, that Paul said this was his goal. His aim, not just to know Christ, not just to not just to know the power of the resurrection. Again, that's a, that for us to focus on power. Again, there's some some gods in certain countries, right? Power is one of them in the United States. So I understand they're wanting the power of the re- man. Who doesn't want the power of the resurrection? Ain't nobody trying to die, man. Right? I remember this movie I saw, Denzel Washington was in it. And he, 
he was in a lot of movies, but I'm not saying which one it was because I don't do that. Um, in case you be like, man, how, Pastor, how could you watch that movie? But anyway, so, 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 he, so he went into this, into this something like a trap house, right? And he was asking them like, hey, look, I need, y'all, I need you to keep your people from off of this place because I'm trying to do something with it because these are people he grew up with. Then the leader was like, well, I don't see it that way. All his people just drew their weapons and they were pointed at Denzel. Yeah, that movie. Yeah, that one. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, you don't. <laughs> so, so then Denzel was like, all right, okay, okay, all right, okay. All right, Devon, I see you. I see you, Hassan. Yeah, all right, y'all got y'all's weapons up. That's fine. Then he pulled out this thing, this grenade, and he was like, I'm willing to die for what I believe in. I'm willing to die for what I believe in. That's, that's how strongly I believe in it. Uh, how many of y'all willing to die? Hey, everybody who want to die, raise your hand. That's what he said. If you were to take a poll of people on the street and say, you know what? Are you trying to die? Nobody's raising their hand. So everybody wants that power of the resurrection. They want it. Everybody wants a vaccine for COVID. They, we want it. Right? So they're saying no in here. I mean, but they here, so I mean, I guess they don't care. <laughs> they're like, we good, we good, we good. That's all right. How many of y'all trying to die right now? Okay, ain't none of them raising hands just for those of y'all out there. But, but, but nobody's like volunteering to, 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 to die. No, no one's doing that. So the power of the resurrection, yes, oh yeah, thank you. But man, the fellowship of his sufferings, we don't want that. Well, in Philippians 1, 29 and, 20 and 30, this is what it says. Paul is talking about the gospel that he preached to him, to them, excuse me, and he said, for it has been granted to you, granted, like gifted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. A lot of people won't raise their hands for suffering either. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to just raise my hand and suffer. Just, I'm going to just be keeping 100. Nah. But when it comes, I realize who it's for, and I understand that if I'm part of God's kingdom, that it has a purpose to it that I, don't, I may not know about. His purpose may be to deliver me. His purpose may be for me to show such dedication that it's like those people who be in those bad organizations that when you catch them, they just take something and commit suicide. I'm not saying that God is doing that. I'm just saying like, you know what? I'd rather die than sell, out, than sell him out. That kind of commitment. There are other passages that you can look at to see that like uh, affliction, suffering, they're just part of, of the, the course for us. So uh, we're not going to read them, but you can, you, can, you can look at them on your own time. 2 Timothy 3, 12, uh, excuse me, 10 through 12, 1 Peter 12, excuse me, man, 1 Peter only, only had, only had 12 chapters. 1 Peter 4, 12. And 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So Paul, he wants to reflect Christ by even 
embracing the fellowship of his sufferings and to be conformed into the death of Jesus. He also, though, is motivated by a hope of reaching Jesus. So he says, he says, after, he says this, he says, okay, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Assuming, he goes on to say, that I will somehow reach the resurrection among the dead. On Friday night, I was at home and the serenity of the evening was interrupted by an alarming question posed by my wife. And I wasn't the only one whose Friday evening was interrupted. There were many. She said, did you hear about Chadwick Boseman? I already knew that the best case scenario would be like he was, because I know my wife. So I already knew that the best case scenario would be that he was fighting for his life. But I said I hadn't. And then she informed me that he had died from colon cancer, which he, which I didn't, and many, most people didn't know he had. Most of us didn't know that he was, he had been battling it for four years. And I continued to think incrementally, like, wow, Chadwick Boseman. And my wife had told me that he was 43 years old, and I was like, wow, I don't think I knew he was that old. I thought he was, like, younger than that. Yeah. And then I thought, like, you know what, man, I, I, like, I like many of the movies that brother played in. I have seen Marshall, uh, Captain America, um, Black Panther, of course. And then I thought, like, man, you know what? He just seemed like a genuine guy to me. And then I thought, man, I hope he was ready. I hope he was ready. And I don't know whether he's ready. I just know that even now it's sad. I mean, colon cancer, it runs in my family. My first grandparent to depart the, uh, th this world, that's what, um, that was the vehicle that took her into eternity. Um, so I know I'm familiar with how brutal that form of cancer is. I mean, none of them are not brutal, but... I'm just more aware of, of that one. Um, so I just thought, like, man, you know, I appreciate this brother's work. Um, I benefited from it. And, you know, today I saw that um, the most, I think there was a tweet that broke the records for likes, and it was a tweet about him. Um, so many people were impacted by him. But friends, only what we do for Christ will last. Paul said, assuming I will somehow reach 
the resurrection from among the dead. So Paul, the one who, who uh, the, 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 the teaching on justification by faith, right, rests on the passages that he's written. Uh, most people quote Paul, but Paul is not his theological knowledge does not protect him from knowing that he has to he has to persevere to the end. And that's why he has to renew his focus. So he says in light of having to persevere, he says, assuming that some that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. He's he he doesn't. He doesn't say I'm going to. Only he sort of says that, but he also uses the word somehow, even though he's already in Christ. I guess he knows that calibration is needed and that he's not always going to be as motivated as he is maybe when he's penning these words to the Philippians. So what does Paul do in light of his knowing, his, his goal to reach Jesus in light of his goal to, to reflect Jesus, in light of his, his knowing Jesus, his motivation to know Jesus, and in light of his knowledge that he needs Jesus, he does this. He, he practices pursuing renewal, and that's found in verses 12 through 14, <clears throat> which may not need any elaboration but to read, but we'll see what happens. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort. That's the renewal. He's making every effort to take a hold of it because I also have been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. So his motivation for doing what he's doing, it comes because Christ has him and he's working that out. Right. So he's told the Philippians earlier in the book, uh, second chapter, that they are to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. They already know that 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 the two will and the the to-do of God's good pleasure has been placed in them by God. They already know that he who has begun a good work in them, that he will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So, uh, but he, so he also says, but he says this, even though he knows these things, he says, verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my, my, the, my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So Paul is committed to pursuing renewal despite his theology. It doesn't make him lax. It motivates him to do more. It motivates him to press in. It motivates him to forget what he's done and to consider it in the rearview mirror. And it makes him reach ahead to what the goal is. It's like a carrot is always in front of him and he's just running after it. And, 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 and the carrot is this, knowing Jesus Christ. The carrot is this, the prize of Jesus, the, the resurrection uh, experiencing the power of the resurrection and somehow, somehow reaching the resurrection from among the dead. That is what Paul is doing. So he is, he's running. He's catching his breath. He's keeping his rhythm. Hey Amen. I did run yesterday, just so y'all know. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, so he, he's doing that because he needs to. 
He needs to for the same reasons we need to. The half-heartedness, the talk better than we walked, the, 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 the fact that we could embrace some of God but deny the power of God. How? No, that, that question is premature. This question, do you pursue renewal? Do you pursue it? Not does it happen, but like do you pursue it? Part of pursuing it, part of, again, like last week, there, there's not anything new I'm going to say. It's not going to be like, you know, I mean, I've been to churches where it's like, uh, you know, you come up to get prayed for or whatever, man. Sometimes people be like, jump up three times and say Jesus. And that, or they'll say little, little wild stuff like that, wild to me stuff like that, right? We need to remember that getting into God's word is a way to fellowship with the God that we cannot see. We need to ask God if the word seems dry or like it's not doing anything, we need to remember that the fault is not with God ever. There's something about my heart that's not tuned and so it's not, don't read his word. It's to pray for help to get his word when I read it, right? It's, Lord, teach me how to pray. It's, Lord, I'm so used to you that you seem like you're just part of my repertoire. So, Lord, I'm going to abstain from from, I'm, I'm, I'm abstain from that Ben and Jerry's. I'm abstain from Popeyes or whatever it is you. Or I'm abstain. I'm abstain. I'm abstain from what's in my refrigerator. I'm going to fast and I'm going to ask you, Lord, to please help me. Why? Because I need to renew. David said, "Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me." Those are prayers that we should pray. Sometimes our theology, we just say, "Hey man, I'm secure in Christ." And man, hopefully you are. But I'm going to tell you something, if you if you don't endure to the end, you're not. Jesus told his disciples that they were his because they endured with him to the end. As David Platt mentioned, many times when Jesus went somewhere, he would encourage people to leave. He would, he, would, he, would, he would correct you for not counting the cost of discipleship. He wouldn't chase you. He would correct you for not counting the cost. He would tell you that, that, that it doesn't, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not worthy. That's what he would say. Those aren't the passages that we focus on, but, but that's something that Jesus said. Yeah. And maybe he said it so that we would keep renewing. Maybe he said it so that we would realize when we're out of tune a little bit, we need to recalibrate. And if we need to recalibrate, what are we doing to recalibrate? What are we doing to recalibrate? That is 
what's going to be talked about in your D groups this week as you come back together. Sure, you should see how each other uh, have been. If you guys haven't met, that's cool. But let me tell you something. Our community is not just for moral support. Our community in this church is for spiritual maturity. All right. So so it's, it's nice to know how you're doing. It's nice to empathize with where you've been. But sometimes you got to be able to say, uh, and I'm sorry if I said this in one of the other messages, but I remember somebody participating in a, in a program we had here and they were like um, telling me about this thing that they did. And it wasn't anything crazy. Um, it's like I understood everything they, they were saying and I understood what their response was. But I just simply asked and Kurt asked this a different way. Um, but you'll see you'll be able to guess what he how he asked it. But I said, hey, man, so like. Where was God in all that? that that's, 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 that's one of my go-to questions. It's like, I, I understand hurt. I understand pain. I understand them things. I'm human. I'm human. Have experienced them as well. And most of us are experiencing some measure of it during this season. I mean, there's just so much going on that it's just a sad situation right now. So we should be crying out to, to the Lord. But it's where is God in this? Where is God in my conversation with my spouse? Where is God in my conversation with my children? Where is God in my conversations with my brothers and sisters? Where is God in how I'm even hearing what my brothers and sisters or my wife or my children or whoever is saying? Is God in there or am I just... I did see this movie, The Greatest Showman. I didn't know Hugh Jackman could sing, but anyway, the brother could sing, and one of the songs is called This Is Me. That song sounds real good, and on some level, I can relate to it, because you have to be comfortable with yourself on some level, comfortable, but not satisfied. Some of us are satisfied with ourselves when God is calling us to recalibrate. Some of us are comfortable where we are instead of pressing into recalibration. But God, especially during a season like this, we should be recalibrating. This is the thing that I'm afraid of, and I prayed against, against this. So if you pray with me, you know this. I am afraid that when God uh, gives us a new normal, that those who are still standing, will assume that we're still standing because of something about ourselves rather than about what God did. And instead of pressing into God and, and, and giving God the praise and the glory for what he's done, we're going to take credit and just go back to business as usual. Lord, help us not to do that. Help Solid Rock not to do that. Help your people not to do that. God is calling us to kingdom recalibration because we're human. We don't always want to, yes, Lord, what is your will? We don't always want to do that. I believe that Paul got this mindset to recalibrate and to give his life to the Lord wholeheartedly from his own insights and his own relationship with God. We must remember that our Lord sacrificed to help us to become who we are in him. 
<clears throat> we're even told to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has given him a name that is above every name. And at that name, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow as they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As we recalibrate, we are saying not only with our actions, but as well as our words, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, solid of our church, let's live like it and recalibrate as needed. Lord, we ask you this in Jesus' name, that it will be true about us increasingly. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, um, <clears throat> I'm going to have a few announcements before we, <clears throat> before we close out. Uh, and the first announcement is just this. Uh, thank you, um, those of you who have been uh, serving uh, here at the church to make it possible for us to live stream. Uh, thank you for those of you who have been coming uh, so that we can have some semblance of church um, physically together. Um, even if I don't, and, and actually, I'm going to ask you that if you're comfortable um, before I leave, because I'm, I'm, I have uh, my sabbatical begins on Tuesday. Um, so, um, and you found that out yesterday from the email from Kurt. Um, but um, if I if I don't, if you don't know me, please do not leave until you. I have my mask on. You can stay six feet away, but, um, but I, would, I would love to be able to uh, pray for you during my sabbatical. I'd love to know that you were here, um, and um, I, I think that would, that would be appropriate. Um, also, two, two other people, I need to see the Gregories and uh, the Kleins um, before you leave. And I also, um, now I don't always, look, so this is my mind, so don't blame anything on my heart that my mind may not be able to contain. But, um, but this sister has been coming to the church um, from whenever we opened and um, has been looking for ways to serve um, and be involved um, during this time. And that's Jeanette Peggins, who I think yesterday, was yesterday your birthday? Happy birthday, Jeanette. God bless you. We appreciate you. Um, also, uh, please, uh, the, the, the Weep With Me book study uh, would like to invite as, as many of you as possible to come and to hear what we've learned going through that book and then what some of our plan is moving forward, a proposed plan. Um, we would like your input, um, and then I'm going to be uh, researching some things while on sabbatical and reading something and 
proposed something to Pastor Kurt to um, help us to be a vehicle of a just community, a just community that goes out and invites others into it and helps to educate people as well as pray with people um, to make sure the church's voice is heard amongst the unrest because we have a savior who invites those who are weary to come to him and to experience rest. Um, so you'll get an invitation for that. Don't forget about uh, the sight and sound event on uh, uh, here at the church. It's on all these things in your uh, church center app. Um, so, um, so please be mindful of that. That's on the third and the fourth. And then there's a back to school uh, event um, on the fifth. That's a Saturday. Um, that's Saturday coming up. Um, and so if you're a youth, um, middle school or high school, we do invite you to that. We will be practicing social distance and it will be um, outside as well. So those are the announcements um, that I have. I hope I'm not forgetting anything. Um, if not, somebody else is going to have to correct it because this is probably the last time uh, you see me for, for a little while. Um, but thank you guys for your attentiveness and for your prayers. Please do uh, keep me in your prayers as we uh, celebrate our sabbatical. And uh, I can't wait till October to be back with you guys and Pastor Kurt um, to resume life as usual because <laughs> we need a level of precedence in this unprecedented season that we're in. I'm appreciating precedence right now. So anyway, I don't control it, so we'll see what happens. But God bless you, and thank you guys for uh, tuning in, uh, and have a wonderful Sunday.